Happy Easter, everybody. It is such a joy um, to be doing this at all. We, we felt like at the beginning, like we've had all these extra services and worship nights planned just two months ago, working hard on how this is going to look and feel. And then, you know, a month ago, everything kind of breaks out and then things change within that week and then they change again. So what you're seeing now is about the seventh, uh, you know, seventh evolution of Easter. But the one thing that's remained the same through the whole time is that Jesus is risen. We are, we are finding ways to tell the greatest story ever told. We're finding ways to tell you about just how good God is, how powerful he is, how loving he is. And so today we're just excited about this. And I, I don't know where the story of Jesus can begin. You can literally say, before there was anything, there was Jesus. But I think to help us understand what we're talking about today, let's just start with uh, about, you know, that would it be like 3 AD, historians tell us somewhere around there where Jesus was born, that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and his only son as an offering, as a gift, that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. It's just this incredible gesture. It's this incredible reaching out to. It's this incredible love that, um, that is embodied in this body of flesh that contains the son of God. For 33 years, he walked this earth and he did nothing wrong. I don't know if you can imagine that. I can't imagine 33 days. I can't imagine three days. I can't imagine 33 hours where, where the requirement was perfection, utter and complete perfection or utter and complete failure. Those were the two options that Jesus had. He was faced with every temptation that you and I are faced with. And beyond that, he was faced with just a world that had been created to be uh, part of the kingdom of God, a people that, that were not born to die, people that were not programmed for sickness, people that, that literally had no mechanism in them to defeat things like the demonic or depression or chronic fear, anxiety. And suddenly Jesus shows up, walks among us, and now lepers, people who are rotten from the outside in, people that are rotten from the inside out, are being touched by Jesus and they're being healed. Blind eyes are open, deaf ears are open and people that had never heard a sound suddenly hear the praises of God. People that had never taken a step in their life get up off their mat and begin to walk and jump and dance. I don't know that we can really understand to any great degree what Jesus actually did. The Bible tells us that it only contains a few of the highlights, a few of the moments, a few of the stories. John goes so far as to say this, if we recorded everything that Jesus said and everything Jesus did, the world would not contain the volumes, the books, the scrolls that would have to be written. He literally brought heaven to earth. And I don't know that you can imagine that. I don't know that I can imagine that, that, that feeling of if you get here, there's no coming back. If you have leprosy, you don't get, you don't unget leprosy. If you're born blind, you're never going to see. There was a world that literally had no hope. Once you're dead, you're gone and it's over with. There was not a single story. I want you to hear me. There was not a single story in all of humanity that ended with, and they lived happily ever after. Every story ended with death. Every story ended with loss. Every story ended with an incomplete life passed on to the next generation that would suffer the same fate. By the time Jesus has 
set people free and opened the eyes and loved the children and valued people, people that were sinners, people that were unvalued by the Romans, women, servants, slaves. Jesus values them all for the innate spark, the divine inside of them as created beings, as people that he came to live for and to die for, facing everything that, that we face every day, yet not once falling for the temptations we fall for just about every day. And by the time Jesus enters into Jerusalem during something called the triumphal entry or what we would call Palm Sunday, literally the whole world, uh, almost the whole world is saying this guy must be the next king. What Moses did for uh, Egypt, for Israel, so Jesus will do for Israel. He, he will set us free. He'll be a good king. He's going to usher in a new age where there is no sickness and there is no death. And they were right in some ways, but completely wrong in others. And look at this in Mark chapter 11, verse 8, says this, Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they'd cut from the fields. Those who went uh, ahead and those who'd followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. I love this. I love this thought that Jesus is seen for who he is. They realize there's something about him, something in him, something beautiful, something powerful, something intimate that they trust. And they say, we don't have a king. We haven't had a king since uh, Solomon. But today we want you to be a ruler. Would you please lead us? And it's shocking that just a few days later, five days later, what was once a triumphal entry now becomes a, a crowd, perhaps, and most certainly most of them, the same crowd, that are now shouting, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Jesus has been arrested. There's been a mock trial. He's never done anything wrong, so he's not guilty of anything. There's no crime. There's not even a sin. But they bring him before Pilate, and Pilate, recognizing what's probably happening here, is that the, the upset balance of, of Judaism and Romanism and Greekism and this man stirring the pot. He's talking about other kings. He's talking about freedom. He's talking about, and so he realized what was probably happening was just the jealousy of the Jewish leaders. And so they bring Jesus and they want him to be beaten and they want him to be crucified. They want to execute him for telling the truth. They want to execute him for loving all mankind. They want to execute him. And little did they know that their jealousy, that their pettiness was playing into the, the divine plans of God. It says this in Mark chapter 11. It says that uh, Matthew chapter 27, what shall I do, Pilate said, with Jesus, who, who's called the Messiah? And they all answered, crucify him. And he says, why? What, what crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar, a riot was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. And he says this, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. And listen to the response of Israel. Those who were there that day that are responsible for shouting crucify him. They say, let his blood be on us and on our children. What they just said was profound, yet ignorant. They're saying, may, may, may the guilt, if, I, if we're wrong, may our children be punished with the punishment we're punishing this man we believe to be guilty. If we're wrong, then may we suffer the same fate that he does. But God's plan was greater than the plans of man. Pilate washes his hands and he tells them, listen, uh, I'm, I'm innocent, you're guilty. And they say, we are. And Jesus then is led out of the courtroom scene and he is beaten. There's a crown of thorns that's placed on his head. 
king who came to love us is despised and rejected. And he's let out with a cross. And they nail him to it by his hands and by his feet and he hangs there for three hours. And in agony that the world, that you, that I will never have to know. Naked in front of his mother and his best friends. The blood drips from his hands, from his feet, eventually from his side, from his head. And the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has laid down his life for people that hate him, that don't understand, that believe they don't need him. This, this story, it looks like the end. And the reason it looks like the end is because, again, there was no happily ever after. When somebody died, that wasn't the end of the chapter. That was the end of the book. When someone breathed their last breath, there was no hope left. There was no solution for any problem. There was no healing to come. Once you're dead, you're dead. Death was the end of every single story until Jesus. You may say, well, what about Lazarus? Lazarus was raised from the dead. Yep, but he died again. When Jesus is gone, there's this sense of it's all over with. Everything we believe must not have been true. It's this confusion. You got to remember, guys, that up until this point, three and a half years for the first time in fishermen's lives and tax collectors' lives and prostitutes' lives, people that were his disciples and his friends that converted and followed him, they had trajectory. They had vision. They had purpose. They had a life. And then the one that gave them all of that was suddenly murdered in front of their eyes, those who had the courage to even be there when it happened. And then it was over with. Fear had displaced faith. The dreams were crushed and every plan was erased. And I tell you that story and I tell it to you in this way because I think there's some of us that are here right now on this very unique Easter where I stand alone in a room that used to be filled with, with hundreds and on Easter time thousands of people. And maybe you feel the same way that, that maybe his disciples felt then. Maybe his disciples could feel the same way now. I, where is he? I, we had a trajectory. We had plans. We had dreams. Jesus was here. We felt him with us. We were writing music and we were, you know, filling schools with ministry students. And, we were, and then this, this disease happens and all of a sudden all of our plans, they've all been altered. They've all been in some ways changed or even erased. And it feels familiar to me as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, in some small way what they must have felt. They watched Jesus murdered in front of their eyes. But I'm watching people as the world around us changes and they're saying, what, what is going on? What's happened? Fear is replacing faith. Dreams are being crushed. Hopes are being shattered. And I'm watching plans being erased. I want you to think with me about what it must have felt like on that Friday afternoon when Jesus gives his life and he's gone. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, they come, they take down the body, they put it in a borrowed tomb, they seal it up, and that should be about it. The end. You say, well, that can't be the end, or there wouldn't be Christianity. That can't be the end, or Jesus would be no different than Buddha, or Muhammad, or any other religious leader that, that came and said a bunch of stuff and then went the way of all mankind by simply dying. Why, why is this different? Jesus was crucified on Friday afternoon. Well, you know what happened Friday evening? Nothing, nothing changed. I, I, guess, I guess Mary probably went home with John and wept bitter tears, knowing that she could never unsee what she had just seen, never unhear what she just heard, never unsmell what she just smelled, the things they shouted at her son as he was dying. I imagine John went home with the same sense of 
utter shock and confusion. I'm not sure if you've ever been there before when something so tragic happens that it just doesn't feel real. It just it feels like a bad dream. Like like you you want to wake up. You want to have this this moment where you go, okay, none of that. Yeah, I was just dreaming. I just had a pizza before I went to bed, and they're feeling that. And they probably have if they have any rest at all. They they sleep fitfully. They they barely, if at all, sleep. And then Saturday comes. You say, well, what happened Saturday? Nothing. Nothing changed. They're a little bit more tired than Friday. They're trying to digest the undigestible. They're trying to comprehend the incomprehensible. They were trying to, to feel and absorb the, the emotions of watching someone they love, someone they put their hopes and their faith in, be crucified, executed, murdered in front of them. And they can't. There's a line from a, a battle that took place in Vietnam with the 1st Cavalry Division. There was a reporter that was kind of with them in this, this first great battle of Vietnam. And he wrote a, a novel. And in the novel, the first book that became later on a, a, a movie by uh, Mel Gibson called We Were Soldiers. And it says this, those of us who've seen war will never stop seeing it. There will be no end to that and this is what's happening in their lives on Saturday, on Friday. They just keep seeing it. They just keep hearing it. Every time they close their eyes, there's a, there's a sound, and that sound brings them back to that place. It sounded, smelled like it felt like, like nothing was ever going to change, like everything was gone. Everything they'd hoped for was crushed. Everything they believed must have been a lie because the one who taught us that has now been defeated by death. And every story prior to his ended with, Nothing close to a happily ever after. And it just felt like this was going to be one more of those stories. And then, and then, where we are right now, stay with me. And then, Sunday morning came. As the sun rose in the east, the Bible says an angel came and he rolled the stone away. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Mary, the Son of David, Jesus the Messiah, the Anointed One, came back from the dead, having defeated death, hell, and the grave. It was complete. It was victory on a level that the world had never seen. The, the defeat of the world in the Garden of Eden was so complete, it seemed irreversible. But Jesus came as the second Adam, if you will, and living in that same position before God, anointed by the Holy Spirit, in right standing with God, empowered by the Spirit, he goes and he takes back everything the devil ever stole from mankind. And now he is here. And now he is ours. And now he speaks and we listen. Now he calls and we come running. Now he loves and we feel it. Now he is alive. Easter is not about bunnies and eggs. I love the bunnies. I love the eggs. But Easter is about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, maker of heaven and earth, defeater of death, hell, and the grave. And Jesus did it once and he did it for all. As the musicians come and join me again, uh, we're going to have a time of communion. But just before we do, I just want you to know this. Salvation is a gift. Salvation, this ability to know God, to, to sense his love, to hear his voice, to know his will. Salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's nothing we earn. It is a gift. And wherever you are right now, I want you to know this. No matter what the stories of our lives are, we can have our happily ever after. So many people 
are wrestling with a sickness. So many people are wrestling with disease. So many people are, are struggling with the what ifs. Every generation faces time. Every generation faces death. Every generation, every man, every woman, every child faces what, what used to be the undefeatable enemy. But I want you to know something. If you're watching this from a hospital bed, if you're watching this from the comfort of your family room with a healthy family all around you, I want you to know something. Jesus says you're happily ever after. You don't have to wait till you're sick. You don't have to wait until you're old. Right here, right now, I have no idea what's happening all over the world. I don't. I never do. If it was happening in this room right now, I'd have no idea what God's doing in people's lives. But I do know this. If you're not right with God, you've watched this for a reason. You've heard my words for a reason. You could have clicked onto the next thing or kept scrolling, but you stopped. Why? Because I believe that God is speaking to your heart. And that he wants you to come home. He wants you to be safe. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be free. I don't know where we got the idea that God is the cosmic killjoy of the universe telling us what not to do. It is unscriptural for us to define holiness as just not doing the things we used to do. Holiness is also wholeness. It's completeness. It's healing. It's joy. It's peace. It's deliverance. And all of this is through the one man who is the Son of God, who lived for you, who died for your sins and for mine and resurrected from the dead so that we too, so that we too, when we face anything we face in this life, there's nothing we'll face in this life or at the end of our lives that Jesus hasn't already faced and defeated for us. And now there's a gift. There's only two ways you can live. You live as if Jesus never did what he did. Or you live as if Jesus did what he did. Jesus did for you what he did. Now what will you do? We've, we've talked about the gospel. We've worshiped. I've told you how good Jesus is. Can I just say one last thing? People say, I don't, I don't know how to start. I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to remove what I've done that God has seen me do, heard me say. I, I, don't, I don't know how to undo it. This is how you undo it. You go to the one who created time, the one who created space, and you ask him to forget all the times and remove all the space. Just say this with me right now, wherever you are. Jesus, forgive me of every sin. Go back in time and erase everything I've done that has grieved your heart. Remove the space that is between who I am and who you are. And fill me with your spirit. I want to be whole as you are whole. I want to be loved as you love me. I want to be forgiven as only you can forgive. From this day forward, I give you my life and I receive yours as a gift. Thank you for new beginnings, for fresh starts, for being born all over again. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to begin to gather, if you would, the elements of communion. Um, if you didn't get the elements of communion, it's just grape juice and maybe some bread. 
You can have communion in your heart if you can't have it physically, but I, we handed out hundreds, even over, like over a thousand communion kits to this community. So get the cups, get the grape juice, get the bread, and let's, let's prepare ourselves. Let's prepare. So get it ready. Start handing it out to people. And as you do, let's just begin to worship the Lord. right now if you would please take the cup and the bread and I want to lead you in communion all over the world all over the city all over my neighborhood would you take this bread in your hands on the night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and when he gave him thanks he broke it he tore it to shreds and he said what I've just torn to shreds by my own will and with my own hands is my body and I give this to you I give you me. I don't want you to take this bread and put it in your pocket for a rainy day. I want you to take this bread and rub it on you for good luck. Who I am is to fill you. Who I am is to be inside of who you are. Take the bread in your hands and let's just thank the Lord right now. Father, thank you for this special occasion, this this virtual Easter that celebrates the real one. Thank you, Jesus, that on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you blessed it and then you tore it to shreds. Thank you for the joy set before you. You endured the shame of the cross. As your body, as your flesh was striped, so our body, our flesh is healed. As your body was pierced and blood flowed outwardly, so our sins that have been committed outwardly are forgiven. This body, this blood covers, cleanses, pays for everything, and we celebrate our resurrected Savior today and every day. So we take the bread and partake together.
In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this blood is the new covenant. It's, it's, it's that which establishes, that which creates, that which builds what was not the moment before the blood was shed. The blood of the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. As you hold this in your hands right now, remember what it is. It's the cleansing agent of every sin. It removes, it doesn't whitewash. It washes white. And again, Jesus says on the night that he's betrayed, he takes the cup and he says, this cup is, is the blood of a new covenant, a new agreement, a new paradigm. Everything's shifting. Everything before this was foreshadowing this. This is my blood shed for you. And Jesus, we are so grateful for your blood. We are lost. We are sheep without a shepherd. We are absolutely forsaken, eternally damned without the blood that is shed to forgive the sins committed. No one can ever say to the Father, you didn't pay enough for them. No one can ever point a finger in, in the face of our Creator and say that, that there was a higher price that should have been paid for mankind. There is no higher price that can be paid than the blood and the body of the Son of God given for the world. And because of that, we hold in our hands the blood of Jesus. And we remember and we celebrate and we hail our King. So we partake together.
am so glad that you chose to be a part of this um, this event, this momentous global celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. I'm just I'm sad that we're not here, but I'm overjoyed that we are where we are, serving our community, loving Jesus, celebrating the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is not contained to a building. This is a church without walls. This is a church in the wild. And uh, we love you guys. Have a wonderful, blessed, happy celebration of resurrection. Eat way too much. Visit with family online. And we will be back in this room again very soon. I don't know when, but I know this. We're one day closer. We're one Sunday closer to worshiping together again. Live long. Prosper. Be blessed. If you need anything, 810-629-5261. We'll be there for you. God bless you. We love you.